Well, this is the third and final, thankfully, message <laughs> that uh, I've been doing on discipleship in lieu of uh, uh, our leadership retreat in August and of uh, what's uh, supposedly coming down the, the line here in the, in the new year. And we've seen what it takes to be a disciple maker in the life of Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we do have the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Christ, does he have all of us? That's the question. But uh, someone that the Holy Spirit has control of, that is full of faith, and begins to invest their life and their experience in the life of a younger person coming along. And that's what we're going to see. It occurs all the way throughout Scripture. This is God's plan for each and every one of his children, that they are discipling someone else uh, as they come along, or they're being discipled by somebody that's ahead of them. I'm going to be in uh, Exodus, uh, two chapters, 17 and 24. I'll be in a lot of other places, but just those two places, uh, you can jot down the other scripture if you want to and reference it a little later. There was a pastor in a major city some years ago who served faithfully for over 40 years in that city. He planted the church. He became a very respected pastor. Uh, uh, speaker, and the church itself was a very respected institution with several thousand members. Uh, raised up scores of leaders during his uh, tenure there who would go on to shape the uh, ministry in that city for uh, decades to follow. He retired from that pastorate and took the position of serving as president of a Bible college. Now, a lot of people would look at that profile and aspire to something like that. That's what I'd like my resume to, to say. And it has all the elements of a successful pastorate. Longevity, fruitfulness, influence, and legacy. The only thing missing are the details. Ah, oh, the details. That's where the devil works, isn't it? Beneath the surface, there was a murkiness that makes the story a little more complicated. For all the leaders that pastor had groomed, an all-too-common trait began to emerge. Rather than embrace his protégés and commission them, as Jesus did, to do greater works than he did, he seemed threatened and intimidated by the success and giftedness of those men. And that perceived threat grew into an unhealthy estrangement between teacher and student. And when the pastor left, he left the church in a state of chaos. No clear successor had been put in place, and there was a leadership vacuum that was created that sent that church into a tailspin. Nearly 20 years later, the church struggles to survive after enduring years of unnecessary hardship. Keep that thought in mind as we go along. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had a promise from God. And God made him a promise that through him and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and on and on it went, God would bring salvation to the world. Now, part of the promise was to give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan, or we like to refer to it as the promised land. 
And it was through the promised land that the Savior would be born. And following Joseph, God's people kind of got hung up in Egypt. They were there for 430 years as slaves. And so God called Moses to deliver the people out of their slavery in Egypt. Now these were the necessary first steps to give them the promised land. And Moses was successful in leading the people out of Egypt, but because of his own disobedience, you might remember, he was not allowed himself to enter into the promised land. But God's promise to Abraham was in no way altered by the death of Moses. Moses was a player in the drama, as Abraham was a player in the drama. But our life circumstances, and even our mortality when our life ends, aren't hindrances to seeing God's plan to completion. So when we fail in life, if we have a health issue that, enable, or that causes us to fail in our current ministry, if we fall to a health issue, if our life circumstances change, if we die, does that mean that God's work is stopped? Yes, it does. Unfortunately, most of the time. And it's because we fail to invest in one of the most significant ways possible. When Barnabas had discipled Paul and then Paul in turn discipled Timothy and the last letter that Paul would write in his earthly life when he would reach the end of his course and he was writing a final letter to Timothy ready to pass off the scene and to the man that he had trained to continue his work he wrote these words Timothy the things that you have said heard me say in the presence of many men Timothy probably heard it over and over I want you to entrust to reliable men and they will be qualified to teach others and the sin of disobeying that verse has led to untold self-imposed barriers and hindrances and defeats for the church over the centuries and continues to do so today. Now we sometimes accuse our kids of not planning ahead. They live for the now. You need to really stop and plan for your future. You really need to think about college. You really need to think about saving some of that money instead of buying the current thing. And we accuse them of living for the now and failing to plan ahead. Because they kind of think they're going to live forever, right? Well, they get it honest because we do the same thing. We think we'll be here forever, doing what we do, but we won't. And then what happens to our place? 
How many times has a Sunday school teacher said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of finish up teaching my month uh, next month and then I'm gonna be done for, I, don't, I wanna step out, I don't wanna do it for a while. See, my question is, well, all right, those things happen. Who have you trained to take your place? Who have you been investing in to step in? Nobody. And so you take a giant step backward to find somebody, to equip somebody, to train somebody, to disciple somebody, to bring the place up to speed where it used to be. And so the kids get it honest. Forty years before Moses' death, Moses began to prepare someone for the task of leading the people to inherit the promised land. Moses knew he would die. Knew he wasn't going to get in there, so he had to train somebody so that the whole thing didn't just stop and they could just flow right on in. And I want us to consider how this trust is recorded for us in relationship to Moses and Joshua. Probably if I had another week, I'd go also to Elijah, Elijah and Elisha. But uh, this is it. So uh, here we go. I've got three questions, actually. Two are on the back of the bulletin, and there's going to be a third, and you can just add that as we get there. But number one, what's involved in developing a leader? Okay, Pastor Rick, I've been with you. I understand. I see what God is saying. I see he's speaking to my heart. I need to begin investing the experience I've had, the things I've learned about God, uh, and that into somebody that's coming along that needs, needs a, a helping hand. And uh, so what's involved? Let me give you uh, a few things here. Number one, find someone. This is to you that are spiritually mature, that have been around a while, that are doing pretty good in the word. You're, you're able to rightly divide the word of truth. And uh, you're living blameless uh, uh, before the Lord and all of that. And your call, your responsibility is to find somebody and begin investing your life in and training up, training a leader. We've talked about that. Number one, find somebody with courage and give them a job. Now, in Exodus chapter 17, Joshua is selected by Moses. And some of these you may remember. I'm just going to touch upon them uh, quickly because I want to get to the second question. Joshua is selected by Moses to lead the Israelite army to battle against the Amalekites. And so he kind of deputizes Joshua and uh, wants him to lead this militia against a band of desert uh, marauders called the Amalekites. And Moses would go up to the hill and provide spiritual cover uh, from, the, from the hilltop because Moses understood something. Joshua was a warrior. He was going to need to be a warrior. God needed a warrior to go into the promised land and rid it of all the inhabitants. And so he knew he had a warrior here, but he knew that he wasn't um, there yet. And Moses realized when he went up to the hilltop and Joshua was down there fighting, when Moses kept his hands up, Joshua began to win the battle. But when he drooped his hands and they sagged and he got tired, Joshua lost ground. So Moses realized something. Joshua had an undeveloped skill that if it weren't for Joshua, the mentor, looking over, providing spiritual cover, Joshua wasn't going to make it. So Moses had a very important part in the early part. And you know there's a lot of folks that aren't going to make it 
if somebody's not in their life, you may recognize they're born again, you may recognize they're, but they're not going to make it if they don't have somebody in their life helping them in the early going and the early stages. He recognized Joshua's leadership, but it was undeveloped. God was going to prepare Joshua as a warrior, but he would need to practice with that because he knew what the future was going to hold. So we need, you know, folks need practice. It's just like you want to teach, and my references are, you know, children's ministry because that's where I come from. You, you want to teach in this class? Jump right in. Here's material. Good luck. Really? That's what we do, though. That's what the church does. And I could probably pick on any other ministry, and it's the same thing. Yeah, I'm done here. Take over. Good luck. And we're stepped back months, years to get that person trained up to speed. No, that's not what God intended. That's not what Moses is saying to us. I don't know what your future role might entail, but I do know you're going to need some practice in it. And Joshua's leadership and warfare skills had to be developed for him to successfully lead the teacher. He needed this time. And in verse 14, the scripture says, God is speaking to Moses, and he says, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it. So it's like, Moses, take your ledger, take your log, take your diary, take this, this uh, book that you're writing down of all of the things, and you make sure it gets to Joshua, and you make sure he sees it and he understands it. The second thing we have to see is find somebody to travel with you that's patient and slow to anger. Now, Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, and Moses is getting ready to go to the mountain and get the Ten Commandments. Okay, you know that story? Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You're to worship at a distance. But Moses alone. Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with, with him. Okay, you got it? Now look at verse 13. Then Moses set out with Joshua. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's supposed to go by himself. See, God understands this relationship. You're, you're, you're uh, tied at the hip. You know, you're joined at the hip on this. You've got somebody coming along. Where you go, he goes. What you experience, he experiences. So you can explain it. Because that's how he's going to learn, and that's how he's going to follow. Everyone else, stay at a distance. I don't want anybody up here but Moses. Joshua is just, <laughs> don't even have to mention it. He's the one in training. And so he accompanies up Moses up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine what that must have done to, to a young man to walk after the, uh, the aged uh, Moses? He's the only other person permitted on the mountain. He was Moses' assistant. Moses was his mentor. And 40 days he waited, listening and hearing those sights and hearing those sounds. He was next to Moses when he smashed the two tablets. He had to understand righteous indignation. You know, find somebody that gets mad at the right things. See, we don't know what things to get mad at and what things not to get mad at. Anger is the result of unmet expectations. 
That's why dad and mom, you, you get uh, upset with each other and you growl and grumble with each other. Somebody had an expectation, the other one didn't meet it, now we're mad, we're upset. Those aren't the things you get mad at. But you do, you don't know any of them. Why? You need a mentor. Listen, if that's you, you need a mentor to help you so you can stand and watch somebody that's a godly example, got, got it together, get, get in the lives of that person, go where they go, listen to what they're saying, and get it, get it straightened out because you've got somebody you're going to need to invest in coming along. Might just be your kids. See, Moses got mad when God's honor was uh, attacked. When the people made the golden idols, God's honor, and Moses was upset. Jesus got upset when God's honor was impugned when they were using the temple to make money instead of a place of prayer. They knew what to get mad at. And Joshua had to understand and see those kind of things. Get somebody that's patient to wait 40 days with you. Maybe not understanding it all, but he's going to be there, and he knows the things to get mad at, and he knows the things not to get mad at. Number three, find someone with a humble heart. Somebody with a humble heart. Now, in Exodus 33, God instituted what, what's called a tent of meeting. And he instituted the tent of meeting because the people have become so sinful, so disobedient. Uh, they, they've been grumbling. They've been complaining. And God says, I am just sick and tired of all of you. As a matter of fact, God says, if I stay here, I'll probably kill all of you. Now, God is long-suffering. And if you get God to that point, you know things are not going well. And so God says, but because he is gracious, he established outside the camp a tent of meeting. And that's where people could go if they really wanted to repent and they really wanted to turn from their evil ways. And they could go out and meet God at the tent of meeting. So Joshua was, was exposed not only to the spiritual benefit of Moses, he was exposed to God's direct dealing with Moses. Because Moses is, God is giving Moses this instruction. Joshua's right there. He's hearing it. Imagine what that would be like. You're walking with a saint of God. You're, you're hearing him communicate with God. God communicate with him. Uh, he's just being um, uh, formed by this. And the scripture says Joshua would even remain in that holy place. Even after Moses had went back to the camp, Joshua would just kind of stay there. And take it all in, the tent of meeting, where God has taken up residence. What humility had to be involved in that? Number four, find someone that's open to correction. Oh, this is one. Find somebody that's open to correction. Because while Joshua is at the tent of meeting... And Moses is there, and God comes and speaks to Moses, and he says on one occasion, he said, I want you to set the 70 elders apart. I'm going to give them the spirit, and they are going to start prophesying and proclaiming what my people are supposed to do. And, oh, this is, I, I can just imagine Joshua was just taken up with this stuff. But being uh, observant as he was, he realized, Numbers chapter 11 records this, he realized two of the elders went back to the camp. They're supposed to be here. They're supposed to be here at the tent of meeting. God's going to put his spirit on them. And God does. But true to his word, he puts his spirit on the other two, too, even though they had left. He's going to put it on the 70 elders. He puts it on. But two of them went back to camp. And Joshua's notice that. Moses, two of them went back to camp. They're supposed to be here. 
I'll just go down and take care of them. We'll just go down and wipe them out. You need somebody that's open to correction. And you know what Moses said? I wish all God's people were prophets. <laughs> Preaching wherever they went. Man, leave them alone. That's okay. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about that. And he realized he was out of line, and he said, okay, thank you. I needed that. Somebody's open to correction. Find someone with a degree of faith. Now, you remember about the 12 spies that went into the land, Joshua and Caleb and 10 others. They went in to check out the land. The people weren't concerned that it wasn't everything God was saying it was, which tells you a little bit about their uh, spiritual position at that point. And, and they go in and come out. And you remember Joshua and Caleb were the only ones. Oh, we won't have any trouble. We can go in and walk right in there. God's given us the land. The other, oh, no, no, no. They're full of giants. They're big walled cities. We can't do it. They're going to kill it. We're like grasshoppers. And so Joshua learned something about faith. He learned what it was to stand in a hostile environment. He learned what it was to voice an unpopular opinion. And he tore his clothes because of the report the other ten had given. And he witnessed the 70 elders join the others. He just saw this thing going downhill fast. But because of his faith, he and Caleb were the only two allowed to enter into the promised land. And finally, find someone that's been tested. Somebody that's been tested and can handle authority. Tested and handle authority. Now, Joshua had been being proven, been being given opportunities, been able to practice. Moses was right there behind him, praying for him, encouraging him, and so on and so forth. And he had developed his character. He had proven it. He'd been tested in various leadership positions. And isn't that amazing how the church just throws people in leadership positions that didn't have any position previously? We just need somebody to head up. We just need somebody to, oh, okay, okay. And we, we get sidetracked. We, we get set back, you know, weeks, months, years. That's why Paul said, test, 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 test your leadership. Make sure they've had success back here, back here, back here before you give them anything else, before you give them something higher, something, something uh, more important. Find somebody who loves the word and obeys it. And here's where God begins not to speak to Moses. Oh, he had been speaking to Moses. Moses tells Joshua. Moses tells Joshua. And Moses would come and say, Joshua, God wants you to know. God, uh, Joshua, God wants you to hear this. And now, can you imagine? Joshua begins to say, God has revealed to me. God has told me. And he had a book that Moses had recorded. And it was filled with laws concerning war and concerning the Canaanites and laws concerning dividing the country and so on and so forth. And he said, give it to Joshua. So he was unwilling to have authority. He was going to be under the authority of a written word. Under the authority of the written word. Find somebody that loves the word and obeys it, is good with it. See, we can read the word. We can admire the word. We can know the word. We can talk about the word. But we're supposed to do the word. And don't we read it, admire it, know it, talk about it concerning discipleship? God's calling us to do it, each and every one that knows Christ. Now, 
What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Let me give you five things. Number one, and I'm going to get to my last question. Number one, God is in charge of the succession of leadership. God is in charge. Recognize and develop emerging leaders will continue to be the task of current leadership. One of their primary jobs is recognizing and developing emerging leaders, future leaders. God equips, God chooses, because God is fulfilling his purpose through his chosen leaders. And God requires that a new leader is going to be required for the next stage. He's saying, listen, Moses, you're not going in. I'm going to need somebody to get the people in. You're not going to be in. You better get your life going and get someone ready when that comes so that we don't have another 40 years. And what would have happened if Moses had been disobedient? They'd have probably wandered for 80 years and not 40 because they'd had to get somebody ready. God is, God is in control, and God is the one determining succession, successive leadership. And listen, not one of us is going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. Pastor Ryan's not going to be here forever. There's not a leader in this place that's going to be here for less. We don't know how long we're going to be here. I was talking to Tony earlier. You know, we don't know we're going to be here 20, uh, 20 more years. Tony said, we don't know if we're going to be here 20 more days. We don't. So when we're gone, who's going to step in? Or are we going to take a giant step backward and have to go through this all over again? Secondly, we must recognize and develop emerging leaders. This is where Barnabas was, wasn't it? Leaders have to be aware of the competencies necessary to successfully complete the next phase. So who's competent to complete the next phase that we're moving into, where we're going? God had given specific instruction as to how they were to train and prepare the emerging generation of leaders. God had given that a, a number of places. Now, for us, every parent has that responsibility, responsibility with their children and others that God has given us responsibility for put in our life. Because we're not going to be here forever, and the future success of the ministry depends on it. So we've got to recognize and develop these that are emerging. Thirdly, potential leaders must personally be mentored by existing leaders. Okay? We don't have mentoring school, and we're going to roll 50, you know, this week. No, each leader has a responsibility to personally mentor an emerging leader. And if you're not and you're out, what happens to your place? It's maybe filled by some inexperienced, unprepared, untrained, and you take a big step back. That's what happens whenever somebody drops out, is removed, dies, and hasn't prepared somebody to take their place. It's just a big step back for that ministry. And who knows how long it'll take to get back to where you're at. You know, programs are one thing. But personal attention is a whole other creature. That's what we're talking about. We've got men's Bible study. We've got women's Bible study. We've got small group study. We've got young people Sunday school. We've got adult Sunday school. That's not mentoring. That's not discipling. We were reminded on Friday down at our teacher conference by Reggie uh, Joyner 
who said, you never disciple someone in a crowd. You don't. It's one-on-one for a span of time to get that person up to speed, ready to go. Moses mentored Joshua for nearly 40 years before the leadership transition took place. Now, contemporary leaders don't have that kind of time. We don't have 40 years. So we have to maximize the time that we have. Fourthly, leaders have to recognize their limitations. We live in a can-do culture. I know we can do it. We're going to do it. We're going to get it done. But Moses knew, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to enter the promised land. I know that. I've got to get somebody ready. You know, there's the tenure thing. Elders, you've got, you've got tenure. You serve so long, and then you know you're going to have to be out. Who you got stepping in? You know you've got three years, six years, whatever it is. You know you've got time to get somebody prepared. You've got to get them prepared. Now, not many get the warning that Moses had. But all leaders will eventually leave their position for one reason or another. We're not always going to be here. So what will happen if I leave? Who have I trained to replace me? And honest to goodness, when somebody comes up to me as a children's ministry director and says, you know, I'm going to teach after next month, that's okay. That, That doesn't really... You know, who do you have ready to take your place? Here's what scares me. Nobody. How long have you been doing this? Oh, 10 years. Nobody. Five years, two years. We talked about this, and this is a step we're going in children's ministry for all of our teachers um, as, as we proceed ahead. Have to. We don't want to keep stepping back and keep getting thrown into the past and then take two, three, four, five more years to get up where we are now. Number five, leadership has to be shared. God told Moses to share some of his authority with Joshua so the people would begin to obey and follow Joshua. Now, it takes strong leadership to share authority and allow people to follow someone else. John the Baptist is a good example in the New Testament. So there you have it. What must we do? This is what we must do. Now, uh, this is the end of the third message and I only have three and I've done my best to share what I feel God wants us to know and wants us to be faithful in, wants us to stop being a disobedient to so that we can keep moving ahead. Now here's my third question. What happens if I don't? Okay? What happened? And I know, you know, a month from now, two months from now, I can look back and say, oh, yeah, Harris had three messages back here somewhere, but, you know, I'm doing the same thing I've always done. I'm still going to the, the small group. I'm still in the Bible study. I'm still doing this. I'm, uh, nothing's changed. I haven't done it. I'm not participating. Okay. What happens? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. Who followed Joshua. Who followed Joshua? Nobody followed Joshua. Although Moses had invested a great deal of time and a great deal of energy in Joshua, 
and there was a great transfer of leadership and the people prospered and they cleared the land out and things were good and Israel was doing fine and there was money in the treasury. For as much benefit as he received from Moses, Joshua failed to reproduce the investment. Oh, Joshua, Joshua got along great with his peers. Oh, they had a great time. Isn't Israel good? Aren't we doing great? Haven't we defeated these enemies? Isn't life more comfortable? Yeah, Joshua, yeah, we're with you. Hey, Caleb, why don't we just hang out? Hey, Caleb, let's get together and have a barbecue. Hey, we'll bring the community leaders. And things were good. Things were good. Her church is like, things are good. Things are good. We're having fun. Isn't this great? But you read the next book after the book of Joshua. It opens with one of the most distressing, cautionary tales. And I say cautionary because I think God is saying, listen, be very, very careful about what I've tried to talk to you the last three weeks about. Because few contemporary leaders understand this. Judges chapter 2 at verse 10 says, after the whole generation had been gathered to the fires, hey, we're having a great time. Isn't this good? Uh, you know, we're making the budget and everything's great. And we're getting to do this. And, oh, that was wonderful. And we got so many good friends. Oh, we just love our, our place. And after they'd gone to heaven, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. That's what happens if you don't participate. And today we've got a new generation of young people beginning to understand the plan, beginning to understand the purpose of God and what he's done for them. And many of them are crying out for mentors. Are they going to find a, a Moses to embrace them, guide them, encourage them? Or are they going to find Joshua, somebody that was just too busy fulfilling his own destiny to invest in somebody else's needs? Two things in closing. If you are walking faithfully with Christ, and you have been for some time, you have a level of spiritual maturity. You are adept in the word. You are living a blameless life. You need to be investing in someone coming along behind you. If you have a position of leadership, you need to be preparing somebody to take your spot. If you've never had the benefit of sitting under the wing of a Moses or a Barnabas or an Elijah, You've never had the opportunity to be groomed and corrected and encouraged in your attempt in the faith. You need to get yourself in position to do that. You need to be praying and asking God, is there somebody that would come into my life and help me? Reach out to me for the sake of the body and for the sake of the next generation of the church. So to the first group I say, Find somebody with courage. Find somebody that has a degree of patience and humility, is teachable, open to correction, 
displays a faith even in a hostile world and invest your life in that person. And to the other group, strive to be in the first group. To be the kind of person so the next generation of the church doesn't forget what great things he has done.